But I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Do you believe that this morning? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's been quite an interesting week for me this week. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, I was involved in interviewing prospective Baptist ministers at Northern Baptist College. And it's two really long days. Monday, get in first thing in the morning and go right through. I think I left at half nine at night interviewing and chatting to people all day. But during that time, um, I got an hour and a half off. That was generous of the college, wasn't it? And I decided I needed some fresh air because it was weather like today and I'd been sat in this rather dark and stuffy room. So I go out for a walk. Now, Northern Baptist College is in Fallowfield, opposite Platfields, if you know if you know where that is. And so I decided to walk through Rochelle and past all those delightful smells of all the curry places, right the way up towards the university. And I get opposite Manchester University when suddenly it clouds over and it absolutely tips it down. Now, I was not prepared for this. So I took refuge in the Church of the Holy Name. Have you ever been in that building? If you're into early 20th century Catholic architecture, as I'm sure all of you are, that is a great example of early 20th century Catholic architecture. But I'm sat in this church, sheltering from the rain. There's other people in there as well. So I go and sit on a pew, and I'm minding my own business. Somebody comes up to me and says, I want to get married in this church. Could you tell me how I go about it? (laughs) I'm thinking, excuse me. So I said, well, I'm not the priest of this church. I am part of another church, but I'm not anything to do with this church. But this woman wouldn't believe me and kept on going as if I should should know how they could get married here. Didn't think anything more of it. She then went away. About three minutes later, this bloke comes up to me. Father, he says. (laughs) Can you tell me where I need to put the food for the food bank? So I'm looking at myself, thinking, have I accidentally robed as I'm coming? Am I wearing something that makes me look like a priest? You can answer that question if you want. But then I get back into church the following day, and I'm talking to Richard Evans. And Richard was telling me that the same day that I'd been mistaken for this this priest in this church, he was bringing some stuff in for one of the user groups. And somebody hangs out of a bus window and shouts at him, Bible basher! Bible basher! That's true, isn't it, Richard? Absolutely. That's what happened. And it made me start to think, what do people think we're about as Christians? What do people actually think we're about? What is the instinctive reaction of our culture to either people who seem to have some kind of authority in the church, or people who are just hanging around a church? That wasn't an opinion poll. That was three totally unexpected reactions of people. We'll unpack that a bit as we go on through today. You should have got a sheet in your notice sheet as you came. This has got today's Bible readings on it. The first Bible reading <coughs> is from Matthew 28, 16-20. I'll just read that one now. We're not actually going to be referring to this one that much, but I will read that to start with. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you 
to the very end of the age. We're commissioned, aren't we? We've been given a job. But how do we get over these instinctive reactions that people have towards us as Christians? How do we get over that kind of mindset of people that says, we're about this, that, or the other? You see, when I've found something good in life, I like to share it. I don't know if you're the same. When something good happens, perhaps you've been for a meal into a particularly nice place, you tell people about it. I like walking. And the last three years that we've, or almost three years that we've lived here, we found some really nice walks locally. And this is one that we particularly like. Molfama, is that how you say it? Molfama. Fama. Somebody who lives in Wales with Welsh pronunciation there. It's a fantastic walk. It's about 40 minutes away from here, 45 minutes, that kind of distance. We've been there numerous times. Take the dog round, um, go for a walk. You go up through the forest, up the hill, back the way down through the other forest. There's an amazing little um, cafe thing that stops in a car park. We can get coffee on the way around. Just really, really good walk. I've taken friends there. I've taken family there. Darren and Rachel went there on my advice the other week. Will and Alison went there. Who was it went there when it was misty? Will, was that you? Yeah, Yeah, you didn't see any of that. didn't see any of that. But my reaction is, when something is good, I tell people about it. When something is worth sharing, I tell people about it. And amazingly, people take my advice, and they go to this place and find out also that it is good. But then actually, I look at my record of sharing Jesus over that same time. And it hasn't been quite successful. If I was an evangelist for that hill, I'm doing pretty well. (laughs) As somebody, as a witness for Jesus, on a personal level, I don't know how you're doing, but I look inside and say, actually, I'm not sharing as well as I am about that hill. Turn to the Isaiah reading on your sheet. Isaiah 12, verse 4. In that day you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Are you bowled over by the gospel this morning? Are you absolutely taken aback by what Jesus has done? Are you in awe of the love of God who sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin, for your sin? For Jesus who offers to walk with us day by day. For Jesus who has poured his Holy Spirit into our hearts. For Jesus, who by grace invites us to share eternity with him. Or have we settled for somehow a gospel that perhaps isn't as good news as that? You know, I've sat through some gospel messages that actually sound like quite bad news, with a good news spin at the end. But the gospel is amazingly good news. Are we bowled over by that good news? But we live in a world, don't we, of many different beliefs? where people believe all kinds of things. We're in our friendship groups, our families, where we go out into the streets, when we're talking to people. People believe all kinds of things. And we're called to love absolutely every single one of them. That's also the call of the gospel. But there is a risk that our good news isn't exciting enough. And in a world where actually truth is often seen as relative, where people say, well, if you believe in Jesus, that's fine, as long as I can believe in this, and your belief doesn't challenge mine, When we say, I have found the truth and his name is Jesus, it can actually jar against our culture. It becomes an incredibly counter-cultural message. But Isaiah says, tell the nations. Tell the nations what God has done. 
speak out. <clears throat> Turn up the volume, if you like, of the gospel message. Doesn't mean we're all called to be Billy Graham. Doesn't mean we're all called to be people who, who go off as missionaries to, to far from places. We may do. That may be God's call on your life. And if it is, you need to respond to that. But all of us, every one of us who is already following Jesus, is called to be a witness. But you know, in our country here for centuries, the church has had a very privileged position. From around 600 AD, when there were missionaries from the Celtic church came down from the north and missionaries from the Roman church came up from the south, this church has been Christian, this country, sorry, has been Christianized. And we even see the effects of the royal wedding last week, don't we? There is still a state church. It is still expected that you know, members of our royalty will get married in a Christian setting. But right up until the First World War, Christianity more or less dominated the religious outlook of this country. And in such an environment, historians call it Christendom, where the majority of the population at least is nominally Christian, what happens to the church? But do you know what often happens is they start talking inwardly and we start debating minute detail of things that actually nobody else understands. And we get so focused in on, on buildings and stuff and things like that that we forget that the gospel is good news and that people need to hear it. And actually it wasn't really until the time of John Wesley and the great revivals at the end of the 18th century that people actually started to realise that just living in a Christianised culture didn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garden makes you a plant. You know, the two did not equate with one another. Then actually the transforming power of Christ needed to be shared. It needed to be told. The story needed to be told. In the lifetime, I think, of all of us here today, we have seen, if you like, the de-Christianisation of our culture gather apace. And I think actually we need to be Isaiah 12 Christians more and more. If you like, the volume to the nations needs turning up of the gospel. And yet sometimes, actually, I wonder if we do that, or whether we just imagine that actually we're still in this Christendom kind of mindset where we just talk amongst ourselves. What did Wesley do? Well, he went out to the streets. He went preaching the gospel to the miners, to anybody who would listen. Now, that might not be the right thing for us to do. We may need to look at how to turn the volume up in different ways. But the call is still there. The commission if we're growing in Christ, to share him. Let's go to the next reading, Ezekiel 3, 17 to 19. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin. And I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sins, but you will have saved yourself. Ezekiel is given a job by God. <clears throat> now the watchman was the person who would go and stand on the city wall in Ezekiel's day. And they would stand there and they would look out and they would see, is there any danger coming to threaten this town or this city? And if there was, they would have enough time then to prepare the city for possible invasion or for robbers or for whatever the issue was. But what actually God does is he gives Ezekiel quite a different role. He says, you're not going to be a physical watchman, but you're going to be a watchman spiritually 
over Israel. You're going to be the one who is responsible for telling people that they need to turn back to me, to turn back from their wickedness or they will die. Because if you don't, you are complicit in what happens to them. You've bought into that narrative of what will happen to them. Now, this can sound quite gruesome, can't it? It can sound quite severe. But think of it this way. We've been singing this morning, <clears throat> How Great Is Our God. Sing with me. You know, the invitation to join in with worship of God. That's what mission is all about, evangelism, isn't it? It's about seeking other people to be worshippers and join in the song that we are already singing, that God is great. We sing our God saves. You know, knowing you, Jesus, there is no greater thing. Yet are people hearing that message? Are we warning people that actually there is a message here that needs responding to? Also on my walk on Monday, I love it when I go for walks and suddenly a sermon unravels in front of me. Northern Baptist College is, uh, like I've already said, near Platfields. And there's another park, which I can't remember the name of, just down the road from Platfields. And there's a stream that runs through this park, under, underground somewhere, and then comes out in Platfields. <laughs> I was drying off by this point because I didn't manage to stay in the church long enough and I got absolutely drenched on my way back because I had to be back. And then the rain stopped and it went back to this kind of weather. So I thought I'm going to keep walking until I'm dry. And I'm walking by this stream. I think it's called the Platte Brook. And normally when you walk through this park, <clears throat> I'm not saying it's the kind of stream I would want to paddle in nor drink from, but it's not disgusting. It's a typical urban stream with slightly murky looking water in but all this rain that had fallen in a really short space of time, after a period of hot weather, had washed into the stream, goodness knows what, all this dirty drain water that had probably been sat in the bottom of drains for three weeks in the sun came flooding into this stream. And I saw what was a really strange sight. The stream was clear, and then suddenly the water level rose, and this absolutely disgusting, black, smelly water came whooshing down the stream. I got a picture of it, but just after the event. See these things here? These are plastic plates. So it's like a procession of plastic plates going past. Now I was thinking, supposing there were some kids playing in that stream further down before this flood came past. I don't know if you were like me as a kid, but I loved playing in streams as a kid. Surprised I didn't die of some waterborne diseases from polluted water. But I used to love being in streams, messing around, damming them, letting them go, all this kind of thing. And I was thinking, supposing there'd been some kids lower down that stream. And I thought, silly lot, they're going to get flooded out in a minute. Wouldn't that be funny? Wouldn't it also be funny if they got covered in all this disgusting water and perhaps it might make them ill? That'd be great, wouldn't it? You know, I would be sort of complicit in what happened next, wouldn't I? But if I went along, running along, shouting, actually, there's a flood coming and it's really unpleasant, get out of the stream, then actually I've done what I can. I've done my bit. I think there's quite a warning there to us as church, that actually the gospel, people need to hear it. People need to hear it. Our role is in sharing. You know, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that those who reject God actually get to experience that rejection. Not just in this life, but in the life that is to come. I wonder if in a sense, God is also saying to us, you know, you are the watchers for lips. You are the people, you are my followers, my church in Lynn, who has the responsibility of making sure people at least get the chance to respond to the gospel. How is our sharing volume? Are people hearing this hope of the gospel? 
Are people hearing the good news that we've been commissioned to share? You see, I think sometimes we can be kidding ourselves if we think that because there's 200 of us in here on a Sunday morning, that that somehow means that that Lim is hearing the gospel. Do you know that's 1.6% of the population of Lim? If we add those other 400 people who come through the building who we may have some contact with, you can do the maths. Just trying to think, just over 5. Just over 5%. If you include churches together and people attached to other churches, it goes up another 3 or 4 percentage points. But it probably still leaves 90-odd percent of people who at the moment do not have even the opportunity of responding to the gospel. See, we have a big task ahead of us, don't we? A big task if we take seriously this call to be commissioned. Have a look at the John 1 verse. John 13 verse 35. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. People will know if we love one another. If you were at the church meeting last Thursday, Chris was sharing with us how our evangelism, our attempts to, to share Jesus, either tend to go too hot or too cold. And it really struck a note with me, you know, too cold. It's too vague, we're too limited, it's kind of embarrassed, and it actually doesn't really share Jesus at all. Or it's too hot, it comes in too forcefully. People don't know what to do with the message that we're talking about. There's so little background, and people can switch off from what we have to say. Well, in that reading from John, what Jesus does is he gives us a way of, if you like, turning up the volume so that people can start to respond to the gospel. If you love one another, people will know that you are my disciples. Let's look at exactly what Jesus is saying here. One another. That one another word is a word of community, isn't it? Love one another. You know, do we love one another in the church? Yeah, look around for a moment. Can you physically look around? These are the people, these are your one another who you've been called to love. Does that happen? Sorry, it wasn't meant to be scary. (laughs) Are these the people who we are actually loving? Because the call to love is a call to love outwardly. Yes, we're called to love everybody. But we're called to model it within the community here. The church has to be real. If we're fake as a community, or if we're hypocritical, or if a church is divided or in danger of splitting, it is unlikely to demonstrate Jesus effectively to the world that is round about. If we can't love and care for one another, then effectively our, our message goes on mute. The volume gets turned right down because people cannot see that we are disciples of Jesus. The gospel is to be lived and loved. The commendable life. And Jesus says, when we do that, everyone will see that you are my disciples. He doesn't say, everyone will follow me, but he says, everyone will see that you are my disciples. How's our volume level for loving one another? Are we known as a community that loves one another? Do we experience that so we can share what we have received? Let's go to the Luke 12 reading. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. I don't know about you, but I actually quite like 
talking about the gospel being lived out. I think it feels good. It's great to be part of a Christian community. We, we experience blessings and benefits of that. But actually what Jesus does is he broadens it out beyond just being lived. Because, you know, there is a real risk that we can do everything that John 13, 35 says and yet still not share Jesus. That we don't go beyond the living to the actual speaking about the hope that we have. Because people knowing that we are disciples of Jesus is not the same as people knowing why we are disciples of Jesus. There's a bridge between those two which we need to build. Now, if I see somebody in military uniform, I know they're a soldier. That is obvious by, by what they're wearing. But what I don't know is why they're a soldier. I don't know why they've come to that decision. I don't know what their role is. I don't know anything about them other than the fact that they're a soldier. It's never enough that people just know that we're disciples of Jesus. Because that doesn't share the hope. That just gives the visual evidence as a leading end point. I've been part of a church in the past that, looking back, was really great at demonstrating the gospel. People in the community that that church was part of were under no illusions that this was a group of people who genuinely cared for that community. There were some great social outreach programs. People's lives were made better by the existence of that Christian community. But the problem was for us as a church is we struggled how to go beyond that to introducing those people to Jesus. And so what you ended up with was a church that was great at demonstrating love outwardly, but wasn't so great at actually introducing people to Jesus. You know, it can be just as easy to go the other way, to talk about Jesus an awful lot, but then actually to no offer no evidence that actually we're living this kind of stuff out. The Bible says those two things have to go hand in hand. The gospel has to be loved. We have to love one another. But it has to be spoken about as well. Do you ever give people reasons as to why you have a hope in Jesus? Do you ever speak about why you love God? See, there is good news in this passage as well when it comes to speaking. Jesus says, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. There are lots of courses you can go on about evangelism, and many of them are very good about how to share your faith. Lots of books you can read. But actually what this passage says is this is ultimately a Holy Spirit-inspired activity. A Holy Spirit-empowered reality. It doesn't mean we don't prepare ourselves for those conversations, but it actually means that we need to be open and led by what the Spirit is doing. But I think one of the biggest questions that we can ask ourselves is, how do we actually do that? What kind of ways do we try and interact with people to share Jesus? Do we make a stand against things in our culture and then go on and speak about those? Do we argue for the existence of God at a kind of philosophical level? Do we preach at people until somehow we subdue them? Well, actually, I think the Bible has quite a lot to say about this as well. Here's just one verse. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. What does Peter say? Give answer to the hope that is within you. Hope is positive, isn't it? Hope is something that, that bubbles out of us, something that is exciting. If we're hopeful of something, <clears throat> it's a good news story to share. 
share our story, the hope that is within us, what Jesus has done in our own lives. But do it gently and with respect. I really enjoy speaking to people who don't agree with me. And I mean it at the broadest scale. You know, I've had friends over the years who've been Jews, Muslims, agnostics, atheists. And you can have some really great conversations. We can have much better conversations than you do with gentleness and respect. Treat others as we would want them to treat us. Gentleness and respect. You see, we are a commissioned people. We are called and we are sent. Big question. Are we doing any of that? Are we actually doing it? Churches, and I think this goes to every church, talk an awful lot about mission and evangelism. But unless it's personalised and done by us as individual Christians, it will always fall flat on its face because it has to be relational. It has to be about me sharing my story. It can't just be about programmes and putting on big events. But it needs to be about me being prepared to share the hope that Jesus has put in me. Every disciple, young or old, is called to be a witness. You never retire from this role. I once got lambasted at the end of a sermon for suggesting that people should share Jesus even when they were in retirement, even when they were in old people's accommodation. This person said, no, they've done all that. They they need to stop. The answer is no, they don't. We never stop. While we have breath, we can give and account for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Yet I wonder so often, have we just reached for the easy meat button? We get on with our Christian faith. We do it with a kind of, if you like, Victorian politeness that says, don't ask me about religion or politics. And the mute button has been firmly pressed. Have we done that? Or do our lives point to the glory of God? Do we offer reasons for the hope that we have got? You know, as a church, I believe we're heading to a season where there will be some big decisions to make. Chris has already been praying for our vision this morning. You know, our communities group is looking at communities within the church. I think you've got one more meeting, is that right? That group will then be reporting back to the church. Our pioneering team, we've had two meetings. We've got another one coming up. It won't take us long before I think we've got some ideas that we want to bring to you as a wider church. The buildings group, again, that is moving forward. But actually, it's a question, we can talk about this, if you like, till the proverbial cows come home. But are we actually going to get on and share Jesus with people? Is the good news good enough in our own lives and in our own hearts that we want to share? Will I be a better ambassador for Jesus than I am for the Welsh mountains? It's a big question. Will we get on and do it? Just a few questions for us to think about. First one is very simple. Do I share Jesus? Or am I on mute? How can I increase the the volume, if you like? How can I live this out? Talk it out? Do whatever it is to introduce people to Jesus. For those of us in small groups, this is a question that will be on the small group um, studies for this week. And if you're not in a small group, please come and see Chris or Will. We'd love to get you clubbed into one. What can my small group do to share Jesus? So that we've not got this just sort of all our groups are just looking inwardly, but they're looking outwardly. (laughs) And are there things that I need to stop doing? I'm not even going to suggest what that could mean. But you may have things at the moment you're thinking, 
actually, I need to stop doing some stuff in order to share Jesus, or I need to stop doing some stuff in the way that I'm trying to share Jesus. Just going to leave those on the screen for a moment. If the musicians could come back up, that'd be great. Perhaps, Ian, if you could just play something quietly just for a moment while people are chewing over those questions, and then I'll pray perhaps in two or three minutes. So just spend a few moments just thinking those through. Isaiah 12, verse 4, In that day you will say, Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. And proclaim that his name is exalted. Jesus says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Lord Jesus, we know today that you have commissioned us The church has been commissioned every day since Pentecost and today we stand in the line of that commission. Lord, I pray that perhaps in our individual lives or even as a church, if we've been tempted to put that commission down and focus on other things, that today you will actually give us a renewed sense of enthusiasm for sharing Jesus. 